the Truth News Network. When you can't tell the players without a scorecard, when men identify as women, white women identify as Native American, rich, privileged Hollywood types protest wealth and privilege by going to jail for abusing wealth and privilege, and no one has the brass to speak the truth, there's always TNN, the Truth News Network. And here to throw the lightning is Dan Newman. And in context of what Pete was talking about in that introduction. Today, we're going to throw something else very controversial. Overkill. We talk about it all the time. No resolution, definitely a problem. Gun control, and here we go again. Now, before you click away from this story or shut down the podcast, listen to this. We're not today going to take any position on gun control. We're not going to blast those on the left for wanting to confiscate guns. We're not even going to demean Democrats or anyone else for feeling the way they think and feel about anything, including gun control. What we are going to do is something novel. We're going to watch and listen to a Virginia representative and former Green Beret who discusses, the word discusses in quotation marks, not argues, realistic opportunities for us to stop mass shootings and protect Americans from them. Watch or listen to what he has to say. We'll gather after this short exhortation by this American patriot and conclude with one or two things additionally for you to think about. So over the last several days, Mr. Speaker, there's been a lot of discussion about an open and honest debate with respect to school shootings, gun violence, gun control, etc. And an open and honest debate, as I understand it, is one that would rely on data, facts, evidence, analysis, reason, logic, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm certainly willing to have that debate. I think if we were going to look seriously at school shootings and gun control, we would analyze things like, why do all mass shootings seem to take place in gun-free zones? Wouldn't it be reasonable to test whether or not the efficacy of gun-free zones have actually achieved what their intended intent is? We'd start to look at most of these shooters come from broken homes. What sort of government policies have actually encouraged broken homes? You can look at left-leaning think tanks like the Brookings Institute that will actually say that some of it can be attributed to various cultural changes that happened in the 60s to include uh, the abortion industry. You can look at a more conservative-leaning organizations that will say that the welfare state contributed significantly to dismantling the family as families became more and more dependent upon the government than they were mothers and fathers in the home raising children. We could look at various status with those areas within the United States and around the world that have strict gun control measures and what their crime rates look like, whether it's Chicago, New York City, Washington, D.C., and others that have incredibly strict gun laws, and yet for some reason it hasn't seemed to stop the gun violence in those particular areas. We can look at the analysis out of uh, 538, which is considered more of a left-of-center data analysis think tank, where you had several analysts now confirm through the data that they were looking at, not just in the United States, but in Canada, Great Britain, and Australia, that they were shocked that the data did not support what they thought gun control measures would actually achieve. We can look at the number of cases within the United States where a gun has been used for self-defense. Estimates range everywhere from 100,000 uses to over close to a million uses within the United States. Now, some organizations and some reporters only want to report on the ones where a gun was used and it actually resulted in the death or maiming of the perpetrator. 
But if you look at the ones where the gun was used and the mere presence of the firearm actually dissuaded a criminal from committing an act of violence, an act of rape, an act of murder, the number shoots up. It skyrockets. So when people on this side talk about the importance of the Second Amendment, please understand it's not just some base philosophical conviction that we all have. It is rooted in the idea that while we may be a post-enlightenment society, the vast majority of horrible atrocities that we've seen have happened in those post-enlightenment societies. Has happened as a result of governments systematically disarming citizens and claiming themselves to be the sole responsible party for their security. And then turning on those same citizens and punishing them. That's the most egregious cases. But in the individual cases of self-defense, that's why the people on this side of the aisle hold the Second Amendment in such high esteem. Because we honestly believe that you have an inherent right to defend yourself. And your ability to defend yourself should not be excluded to, to your size. Firearms provide someone that is weaker and not as fast the ability to actually defend themselves from a stronger attacker. Some of the other things that we would look at, and, and some of the things I would hope we would have bipartisan support for, all of us agree that we need to make sure that our students are better protected when they go to schools. One of the things that we would look at is arming certain teachers. Not every teacher, but a teacher that is comfortable with it, is, is former law enforcement, is former military, that is now in the classroom. Delegate Plum said yesterday that that was ridiculous to consider. Why? Is it because the other side of this debate will only accept one quote-unquote solution to this problem, and that is tearing apart or gutting the Second Amendment? And I understand, we're going to mention just a couple of the bills that were, were done this year, right? Background checks, getting rid of bump stocks. If you're wondering the other reason why we can't have an honest debate over this one is because, quite frankly, I don't think any of us on this side of the aisle believe you when you say that's all you want to do. It'll be bump stocks, it'll be background checks, then it'll be different kind of background checks that register the guns. Then after that, it'll be we need to ban assault weapons. What's an assault weapon? Something that looks scary. Then after that, it'll be semi-automatic rifles. After that, it'll be semi-automatic handguns. Then it'll be revolvers, shotguns. Because when the policies fail to produce the results you are promising to your constituents, you'll be back with more reasons on why we've got to infringe on Second Amendment rights. The other reason why it's really difficult to have an honest and open debate about this is because of this, members of this body comparing members on this side of the aisle to Nazis. Members on the other side of the aisle saying that when a 24-year-old teacher gets up and says that the whole debate is between the Second Amendment or her life, that's a false dilemma. And quite frankly, one of the ones that I found the most offensive, along with being compared to Nazis, was being compared to segregationists. I just want to remind everyone someone very quickly. It was not our party that supported slavery, that fought women's suffrage, that rounded up tens of thousands of Asian Americans and put them in concentration camps, that supported Jim Crow, that supported segregation, or supported mass resistance. That wasn't our party. That was the Democrat Party. Now, I'm thrilled that Democrats no longer believe that, and I don't believe that a single current member of this body who is a Democrat ever believe those things. But I would really appreciate it if every time you want to make a powerful point, you don't project the sins, the atrocities, and the injustices that the Democratic Party perpetrated on others onto us. So if we want to have an open and honest debate, I am all for that. Let's do that. But it does start with a certain degree of mutual respect.
It, it starts with a certain degree of not assuming that the only reason why we believe in the Second Amendment is because the NRA paid us off. Well, if that's the sort of logic you want to use, why don't you go take a look at how much money the NRA spends and how much money Planned Parenthood spends? Because when I get up here and I talk about abortion, I don't assume that you're all bought and paid for by Planned Parenthood. I don't assume you're horrible people because I disagree with you on a policy position. I assume you have deep convictions and that we can have an argument and a debate about it. But if you're not willing to reciprocate that level of respect, well, don't be surprised when it becomes more difficult to talk about these things. Because there is a lot that we can do, and there is a lot that we need to do to ensure the security of our children and our citizens. But yes, we are going to have a problem with, with so-called solutions which infringe on people's liberty under the promise the government will provide for their security. Because ultimately in this last school shooting, we had a perfect example of government being engaged over 30 times and still failing to provide security for those students. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. None of what he had to say had anything to do with the pros and cons of gun control itself. What he addressed exclusively was the attitudes of American legislators on both the federal and state levels regarding gun control. And it's unusual for us to see and hear any legislator speak objectively and non-emotionally about this very critical topic. In the wake of several mass shootings, Americans typically turn away from any objectivity and respond totally from personal emotions. And until we can find ways to objectively and factually discuss meaningful and possible solutions that will work, no answers will ever be implemented. There most certainly will be pieces of legislation that grow from emotional lawmakers in the wake of new and unfathomable gun killings, but seldom do any of us make rational decisions that originate from instances of horror, death, and destruction. Gun violence is undoubtedly such an example. So, speaking of examples, I'm going to give you one little story, and then we're going to take a short break and come back and wrap it up. Somewhere back in history, some wife realized there was long grass around their home. It looked messy. Critters hid out deep in the grass. There were bugs everywhere. The kids couldn't go outside and play because the grass was just too long. So what to do? Well, the grass had to be made shorter. So how does one shorten the grass? Well, there were no biological labs at the time that could experiment on crossbreeding grass to find a way to shorten the grass. Somehow, someone was going to have to cut that grass. Now keep in mind, the combustion engine hadn't been created yet, hadn't been invented. Neither had electric motors or string cutters. Someone thought of a way to fashion a long skinny metal blade attached to the end of a pole. And that pole with the blade on it could be slung across the grass and the grass could be cut. Well, it worked. But it sure took a long time to figure all that out. It took an even longer time to cut the grass. And even though it was shorter, the grass was still pretty messy. So, her brother-in-law, we'll call him Bubba, means he had to be from the South. He had an idea. A machine that automatically could sling a similar blade to cut the grass. And you ask, how did he know what a machine was? I don't know. Just, just stay with me in this story. Well, it required the use of a recently discovered liquid that burned when ignited and exploded in just the right situations. Bubba crafted a metal box with a small tank in which he could put some of that liquid seal the tank so no air could get into it, and he could make a few drops of that liquid explode, forcing that blade to turn on its own. He had invented the lawnmower. After years of refining and revising that machine, the lawnmower, Bubba discovered 
A lot of other people wanted to cut their grass too. His machine made it much more accessible, much quicker, and the demand for the device was unimaginable. Everyone wanted a grass cutter machine. Bubba one day while sitting out back started thinking about how that entire process had all come together. It started with something simple. There was grass everywhere. While the grass was good for certain things, I mean, it fed all the farm animals, it made great stuffing for pillows and mattresses, and uh, when you put it in the floor of a stall, a horse stall or where the cows were, it made it smell a whole lot better. It only was useful, though, in certain situations. He had to find a way to allow the grass to do all the right things it did, but stop it from getting out of hand. He conquered the issue by inventing the lawnmower. There are hundreds of millions of guns in the world. There are many good things these guns do, but guns cause problems in spite of the good that they do. Guns don't do it by themselves. They have help. Just like grass growing everywhere that gets long and unsightly and critters get in the way, guns too can create some not-so-good situations. So what can we do? Without getting political, what are our options? We'll look at those when we come back at Truth News Network, truthnewsnet.org. Sit tight. Join the Truth News Net Army of the Informed. Be on the cutting edge when a new story is posted at TNN. Sign up at the homepage of truthnewsnet.org. We never share, we never sell your email. The only thing we're selling is the truth. Join the TNN family today. We're growing from Bangor, Maine to Saigon, from Berlin to Moscow, from Rio Linda to Krakow, Poland, from Sevilla, Spain to McAllen, Texas, and Caribou Landing, Canada, from Salzburg, Zurich, and Milan to Shreveport, Louisiana, and all points in between. TNN has been named the single most important source of conservative American political news by the University of Moscow. It's regularly heard in Washington, D.C., and every major your capital on every continent. Be part of this mass migration from propaganda to truth. Sign up today. Thanks for being a part of our worldwide family. TNN. Truthnewsnet.org There's only one Dan Newman. Anymore? Well, that just wouldn't be fair. Everybody in my world that knows me well would agree with Pete. There's only one of me and that's a good thing. I'm glad you're sharing in my day-to-day with, with me. And let me share it with you. So, regarding gun violence, what, what can we do? What do we do? Well, there are many possibilities, many opportunities to quell gun violence. But the representative that you just listened to nailed what keeps us from reaching any consensus on fixing the gun violence problem in America. Answers never result from nasty attacks from any side of any issue, which always demeans someone or some group on a personal level. Real solutions result only from the meaningful and respectful discourse between Americans. Practical solutions can result only from respectful discussions among those. All those who have ideas they wish to share with others to reach a solution. Not from a political perspective. It'll never work as long as politics are part of that conversation. That type of discourse in the wake of mass shootings has been non-existent. Emotions always take over conversations, exploring possible ways to stop the gun violence. Americans must first face the same dilemma Bubba and his wife faced about handling that long grass problem. 
No one had come up with the right solution for controlling the grass. They had to invent a process themselves. Guns, well, I don't want to minimize them. They're certainly not grass that gets a little long in the yard. There's no machine that alone can solve the American gun violence problem. I'm no expert, but I'm fairly certain there is not a single and no simple solution to end gun violence. That fact does not mean Americans are stupid. What it means is the creative Americans who have invented everything from a light bulb to a space station have not yet crafted a or several answers sufficient to end gun violence. Until that happens, we got to keep looking. But you know what? We may have already seen a solution and just missed it. In the outrageous back and forth in the political blogosphere of solutions, based almost solely on political ideology, there could very well be a solution buried on the pile of ideas that have been thrown out that simply were discarded because of distrust of who offered them that have nothing to do with the ideas themselves. We maybe cannot fix the problem, but I'm certain we're smart enough and we're ingenious enough to make the problem better. Conversation is necessary to have any chance of getting to the end of this. Conversations are rare in today's politics. Are you like me? I am sick of those 535 representatives in Congress Take all the recesses, and they work. I get that. They're back in their districts uh, meeting with voters and discussing problems and issues and all that kind of stuff. I get all that. But you know what they're elected to do? Craft laws. Make life better for Americans. And the only way they can do that is to get amongst themselves and come up with ideas to make those things happen. They've got to drop the political ideology. Everybody's got it. Drop it, get around a table, lock themselves in a room, and discuss, and rediscuss, and get mad, but then resolve their anger by listening to everybody around that table. So, why don't we take the conversation totally out of politics? Now, that's a novel idea. Why not let members of law enforcement who are specialists, say medical doctors, theologians, businessmen, let all of those people get around a roundtable, begin conversations to embark on a journey to end gun violence. It's much more likely without any politicians in the room. The odds are much better than A or several solutions can be identified, discussed, and recommendations made that if and when implemented would if not totally, at least partially, eradicate gun violence. Gee, isn't having adult conversations minus insults and political perspectives something we ought to try just once? It pains me to say this, but in our 250-year-old nation, those conversations, those exact conversations under those circumstances have never happened before. That speaks poorly, not only American leadership, but of Americans, you and me, who have the power to force those meetings to happen and we don't make them happen. That's on us. Let's get it right. Let's start something. And we can't just talk about it. Let's do whatever we can do to make it happen. Your member of Congress, your senator, they got telephones, they got email addresses. Reach out to them and say, hey, can we just put a group of citizens together with you to begin a conversation? And then not talk to them about what we think 
should happen or what the answers are. Let's talk about the process. You know, in this crazy impeachment thing we're going through, there's a lot of allegations thrown out about how evil and wrong the process is. Well, let's just talk about the process of having conversations to eradicate gun violence. I think we can do that. Hey, thanks for being here today. I always love talking to you, having conversations. Let me know your thoughts. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. That's Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Have a great one. We'll talk tomorrow at Truth News Network, truthnewsnet.org. So long, everybody. When you can't control what happens, you can control what you know about it. That means the truth. Dan Newman on TNN, the Truth News Network.